Well, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Making a Difference for Us, or Sure for Mad for Us, a different approach for podcasting, political podcasts. My name is Kevin Blue, and I'm proud Democrat and the founding partner behind Mad for Us podcast. Our premise behind Mad for Us is to have a healthy debate and an engaged conversation about issues facing our country and our world today, involving ordinary people like you and me. What I mean by ordinary people is a typical person who gets up in the morning and does a good day's work and respects the law of the land and asks the simple question, why? As a country, we have fallen away from the idea of working together to solve problems. Our goal is to bring back the mutual needed humility, empathy, and dignity in the discussion ranging from politics, civil rights, breaking news, etc. We will do this by trying to build a mantra of not criticizing a man or woman until you have walked a mile in his or her moccasins. Our platform is to have healthy debate and discussions around topics that are both supporting and opposing perspectives of our views. From there, we will determine if we have learned something new and if we have developed an understanding of why someone else may think differently than how we originally perceived a topic. We hope to manifest the ability to have difficult conversations in a respectful manner. The end goal is to shed the light of the issues with healthy conversations. May that be a fellow neighbor, friend, or family member. I'd like to introduce you to Margo, who is going to go through and introduce Christine Anderson, Edwin Jackson, and Jim Bonoski. I'm Christine Anderson. I'm a white female based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I am representing the Democratic Party. I'm a mother. I'm a small business owner. I have a baby on the way. I am here to have, yeah, a friendly debate, friendly conversation, potentially gain a little perspective, right, of where the other side may be coming from. By the other side, I mean the Republican Party. And also to have an opportunity to share what resonates with me and what I believe in, what I stand for, and what I try to help shift. Jim Vanosky, I'm a libertarian-leaning conservative Republican, father, business owner, manufacturing expert, writer, lots of stuff. I have lots of interests, and that's what particularly appeals to me here is getting a chance to hear what some other people think of important topics having a chance to contribute what I know and, and my values respectfully and get past this mudslinging we see so much in society today. My name is Edwin Jackson, and I am a moderate Republican who is a proud father of three children who are not Republican. And this podcast gives me an, uh, a chance to, one, expose my three children to the real me, two, have an, uh, an opinion or an exposure to the other side, and, and three, to share the facts that I research and, and be able to expand upon. And more importantly, I'd like to uh, have a platform in which we can all discuss things that are important to us and leave with either agree to disagree or find some common ground and shorten the gap between the people that disagree. So I'm excited to be here, and uh, I think when you uh, listen to the podcast, I think you'll be very pleased to know that we all have different opinions, but yet we agree on a lot of things that matter. Thank you all for your introductions. Beginning with our topic of today, Black Lives Matter, Christine will be starting us out with our first question, which is, do you believe that Black Lives Matter brings awareness or creates chaos? 
Thanks, Margo. Does Black Lives Matter bring awareness or chaos? Well, I think both. Black Lives Matter is a globally recognized organization. And <laughs> through that, a hashtag was created, the Black BLM, Black Lives Matter. And social media, which we all know captures the attention of so many, has really taken it and run with it. And so the awareness piece is like everyone's heard about it, right? Or most people have heard about it at this point. I think when it starts to get a little cloudy, that's where some of the chaos starts to come in. Some folks seem to have different interpretations of what Black Lives Matter really stands for, whether it's the movement or the organization itself. Because I look at them as two, kind of two separate things. The organization was created and then sparked the movement. What I think it stands for is just bringing awareness around how the the racial disparities that are everywhere, and they've been around for quite some time, but they're just very, it seems like over the last couple of years, especially with the George Floyd murder in 2020, that everything just got highlighted. And then there's COVID and then there's everything else going on and, and the election. And it was a heated year. So in the midst of all of that, I don't know if it was just folks not wanting to be called out, maybe for what they haven't been doing to support compromised community, particularly communities of color. And in this case, we're talking about Black lives in particular, or if it's that folks not really knowing what to do and, and interpreting that is like, okay, well, if I don't support Black Lives Matter or I don't understand it completely, so therefore I'm just perhaps going to not support it and someone's going to call me a racist. And it just gets into this, like, if folks don't understand really what's going on, then there seems to be some chaos surrounding it. I mean, nobody likes to have their ego bruised and to be told they're doing something wrong in a sense, unless they're coming from a place of wanting to learn more, understand more, and hear where someone else is coming from, which I think is part of this, you know, why we're having this podcast too. It's We're all going to come at it with a few different opinions and a few different optics, but ultimately we're here to see if there's something else that we can learn or something else that we can grow from or grow Thank through. you, Christine. Jim, how do you feel? First off, I, I agree with Christine on one thing, and that is that we're talking about a couple of really different things here. One is the movement that's gotten so much attention, especially in the past year. The other is the organization, the Black Lives Matter organization itself. If I'm speaking to each one of those, the organization to me really does not much more than create chaos. In my opinion, if they're looking to solve problems that afflict Black people in America today, they're really highlighting the wrong things. They're stirring up animosity. You know, they're founded by Marxists. They had things on their website originally that they scrubbed about getting rid of the traditional family. And so I think that led to a lot of the kind of pushback from people on the conservative side. Now, when it comes to the movement, you know, what I see is people genuinely wanting to address these disparities that have been around for far too long, people genuinely wanting to help with the racial animosity. And I think the awareness that that's raising can be a positive thing. My take on what we're raising awareness about is that we're thinking about the wrong stuff, though. To me, when we talk about constantly the black men killed by police, certainly every death is a tragedy. But the greater problems afflicting Blacks in America today are things like education, violence, Black-on-Black violence. 
incarceration, homelessness. Those are things I just don't think the movement's really getting to solutions on. And unfortunately, much of what we tried in the last 50, 60 years for solutions has, to me, only created greater devastation. Today, the Black population of America is 13.4%. The incarceration rate's 38.6%. They're 40% of the homeless. Poverty rate's 18.8% versus one of 7.3% with white Americans. I'd really rather focus on how we change what we've been trying to do that has failed so poorly and really get after solutions to address those problems. Thanks, Jim. Kevin, how do you feel? Well, I think I have to agree with both Jim and Christine when you're talking about chaos and awareness, because really what leads it? Because if we didn't have this as a awareness or chaos, we wouldn't have a movement. Okay. And most movements create chaos and they also create awareness is because we're in a society. We all have this own personal conscious biases. What is right? And it depends on where we sit on that totem pole or how we see it. It's if I'm wealthy, if I'm highly educated or am I well-informed? So really, I kind of come back to the bottom line is what everything we always talk about. And this is a quote from our founders. We, the people of the United States, are writing the Constitution to create a better country, establish justice, ensure peace, defend the country, cultivate general happiness, and guarantee freedom for ourselves and the future generations. So when you look at that, it's once again, it's how do you interpret that meaning? And it's very broad, but everyone has that piece of the pie. So until if you really look back at it throughout, there's been so many social movements or all kinds of movements that influence American lives because in in the 19th century, because we had the the women's rights, we had the union rights, we have a lot of rights and a lot of movements have changed the thinking. And as we look at this, but it always cultivates back to the Constitution about my freedom of speech, my freedom of arms, freedom of this, freedom of that but only some who actually takes advantage of that freedom and disparity. So as we look at this, I really believe, and I support the Black Lives Matter like I support the 60s movement. But in the 60s, when Martin Luther King, he wasn't basically that loving person. Okay, everyone fought and thought he was doing something that wasn't humane or followed the the United States philosophies and beliefs. So I think when we come back in there, even today, we're fighting for still women's rights. We, we fight about for LGBTQ rights. So until you really look at it, until we can start looking at it as our history has been driven by people who've challenged that and looked at the status quo. Because if it doesn't matter to me, basically my backyard, how I view things, it's, it's no biggie. But when someone starts to scream and yell, that's totally different from my view or my opinion, you're going to have chaos. And that's what's bringing it to it. And this is one of the things I really feel very adamant about is that I think in America, we've created this racial divide because when you look at it personally, I'm an American that actually has a black culture. But my first thing I look at is I'm American first. But how we do it in the U.S. that we have Chinese American, we have Italian Americans, we have Indian Americans, we got African Americans, we got Latino Americans, we got Mexican Americans. So we all put ourselves in this little group or this little bubble. And how dare us to sit there and put in a bubble versus what's right for Americans. And that's why they're coming back as I'm going back to that foundation of the Constitution, because it did not sit there and say and isolated on race. It talked about us as Americans and the things we do. So I think that's one of the biggest points as we're looking at it. I'm hoping we're going to continue to have movements in our world in the future. We're going to have awareness and we're going to have chaos. 
because we don't live in this utopia world that everything is right. And as, as Jim mentioned, and as well as Christine mentioned, we have movements and we have organizations or we don't really define what those look like. We allow other people to define that. So we need to continue because historians will come back later and define it for us because of the actions that we take. So right now, I think, you know, I have to agree with Christine and Jim at this point in time is that, yes, we have the awareness and we also have chaos. And the question is, is who's going to write that narrative to determine if it was great awareness or if it was total demise when it comes to chaos? So those are my points, Margo. Thanks for that, Kevin. And finally, Edwin, how do you feel about all of this? In respect to what Kevin, Christine, and Jim said, so if you look at Black Lives Matter, obviously it was created back in 2012, shortly after Trayvon Martin was shot in Sanford, Florida. People that came up with it was Opal, Opal Tamini, Alicia Garza, and Patrice Colors, all call themselves radical black organizers. And so when you look at that and you think about it as radical black organizers, you would think about organizations. So it really was a hashtag an organization, never really completely organized. And Kevin even mentioned it too. So you look at a, you've got this organization that sits in a bubble and they are protesting against injustice for black people. Well, the reality is it's not a black or white issue. It's a right or wrong issue. So the reality is, should it be black lives matter? All lives matters because at the end of the day, Really, the issue is all about right or wrong. And when you look at Trayvon Martin, what you heard was an armed black man gunned down by a security guard at while visiting his dad, but you didn't hear that he was suspended from school for 10 days for having drug paraphernalia. And he may not look like an ideal citizen walking down the street and doesn't justify killing the guy. However, we hear partial stories and we don't hear the whole story. But the reality is, it's right or wrong. It's not black or white. So I think uh, there's probably room for discussion for Black Lives Matters, but there's also a reason why it has not become a very formal movement like the 60s movement, like the, the, the civil rights movements back in the 60s, as Kevin spoke early. That was very driven for specific reasons, and that was equality and, and voting and and using restrooms in public places and being able to sit at lunch counters and being able to ride, in the, ride on a bus and the seats that were available versus the seats that were in the back. Those are very focused and very driven protests. And it was for a reason. When you have a bubble like this where it's really undefined and you've got people feeding off an undefined bubble of protests, it's definitely going to create chaos. And the reality is, They are creating chaos over something they find as wrong, but they're creating chaos, which is making something else wrong. So in this environment we're living in that's so volatile to the angry protests, we are creating a counter-protest and creating more chaos. So I think at this point, I think there's room for it, but I don't know that it's in the right format it's supposed to be in. Thanks, Edwin. And with that, you've led us to our next question. Christine, do you think that the Black Lives Matter movement could be sharing a better message? Thanks, Margo. I think the message is loud and clear that systemic racism is here and that the Black community in particular, but really BIPOC communities, they're all compromised. They don't have the same resources. And think about myself as a white person, you know, growing up in a small town and the access to education 
safe resources, being able to leave my door unlocked at night and, you know, just all the little cozy features. It was super cozy, right? In my little, my little small town. And I had the support from family and I had, I had a lot of things that were pretty accessible to me. And I'm not saying that some of these communities don't have, some of these marginalized communities don't have access to that. However, things are stacked up against them. (laughs) There are housing district lines. There are lack of job opportunities. And I think that this is what the organization is trying to share. This is what Black Lives Matter, the organization, the movement is trying to share. That is the message. How to get to those things, how to resolve it, how to reallocate funds from the police. I don't know about defund the police because to me, I don't, I don't know if they, I just don't know where I am with that one, but I do totally believe about reallocating funds from the police department. There is a lot that they have access to and potential control and power over that maybe this is where we bring in the social workers. This is where we bring in the counselors. This is where we bring in more of the community-based education resources, you know, folks from the community, training those folks in those communities to serve the communities. I think about community-based doula programs, right? We talk about Black infant mortality. And in some of the Black communities around the country, they're starting to have, and here in Kalamazoo too, starting to have folks of color go through trainings that are financially accessible, led by other folks of color, and to help serve folks of color. And it's not then that it's exclusive. Like The point is to be exclusive that like only, say, Black folks can have access to these trainings. However, maybe there are some more scholarships, or maybe it's more financially feasible, or maybe there are childcare programs set up so that parents who have children at home and are trying to juggle parent and then maybe getting a different access to not a traditional school education, but maybe more of a trade or something outside of the scope of just a college education. So I think that it's important that we continue to support and back up programs in the community. And I, I think that's what the organization and the movement is really talking about. It's like, we are bringing a lot of awareness. There is some chaos coming, but here's our message and we're sticking to it. And how do you take the next steps? What are the next steps that we're supposed to take? Put our feet in motion. Well, you start with your own community. And I think about folks who are saying, oh, well, I didn't create these laws. You know, there, there's this injustice out there, but I'm not the one who established it. No, but unless I'm Unless I'm doing something to shift it, to dismantle it, to make it all accessible for all, then I'm complicit. Then I'm being lazy. And then I'm then I'm resting comfortably in a system that was made to support me as a white person as opposed to another person of color. So do I think the message needs to change? No. Do I think we need to keep moving from our in our communities to find ways to change some of those things to support the message and continue to bring awareness around how some of these fees are compromised? Absolutely. Christine, you brought up educational resources as Jim did, so I do want to touch on that later. For now, Jim, do you think the Black Lives Matter movement could be sharing a better message? Yes, there is a better message. When I think of Black Lives Matter, I think their message is wrong in just about every single regard. Christine touched on the disparities, so she talked about poverty. Well, to create this message that somehow all white people have these privileges and all black people are 
disadvantage. That's simply false. A majority of those impoverished in America today are white. And so rather than creating these divisions, if we're going to talk about poverty, let's talk about everyone who's in poverty. Certainly it's worse in the black community. And I think that goes to some of the actions we've taken as a country that, in my opinion, have been primarily driven by the other side of the aisle, Democrats. So, you know, we talk about Christine touched on violence, not being able to go to sleep with your door open at night. Well, Black Lives Matter is all about police killing black men. But who kills most black men? It's other black men. And so there's a problem within the communities. Again, those problems aren't really in the countryside. They're in the cities. And who's run the cities for the last 50, 60, 70 years? It's been the Democrats. So that's what I meant when I was making my points earlier about going after where the problems really are and facing up to what's worked or not. And so I'm all for, and I think most of the people in this country are all for continuing to chip away at these disparities and to give a helping hand to marginalized communities. But you're not going to do it by creating divisions. You're not going to do it by not facing facts, and you're not going to do it by not jettisoning these failed policies. Thank you, Jim. And Kevin, how do you feel? You know what, this is just listening to Jim, and like I said, when we get ready to kind of move into really having the table talk, when you're talking about disparity, really, when I look at it, we didn't have rights to even buy houses in the late 60s, early 70s. And that's 40 years ago. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. And I kind of look back at it as from a standpoint as does the message need to change? No. And as we look at this, yes, we got to have more conversation. We got to look at Jim's point of view when he talks about those pieces, when it talks about some of the simple pieces of education, the disparity in poverty, black on black crime. The question is, we got to have some conversation so Jim understands that. And I, I need to understand Jim's perspective on when he sees it. So I think right now, I don't think the message needs to be changed. I think we need to start understanding what truly is the problem. And maybe Black Lives Matter on how they went about explaining it. But people get it. People understand that we have to start looking back at is this America is what a lot of people have come here, how what we've forged to have the Americas as we look at the rest of the world is looking at us and starting to say we're kind of we're hypocrites at the end of the day. So I think right now this is a great start to look at some of our foundations and our beliefs. Will there be other movements in the future? Hell yes. Will they be worse than we're talking about Black Lives Matter? Hell yes. The question is, we need to step back and check ourselves because those movements throughout our history of 400 years have been some reason or another that people have brought up and said is not right. So at the end of this, like I said, I think the message is very clear and it's impacted the world. Thank you, Kevin. And Edwin, do you believe that there's a better message that could be shared? For one, Christine said, you know, she's been made to feel comfortable living with her being able to stay in her house with the door unlocked and, you know, white privilege. That's not white privilege. That's a privilege. And at the end of the day, I pay my dues. I'm an upwardly mobile person. I socialize with higher educated people. I live in an affluent neighborhood. And guess what? I, li- I-, I can sleep with my door open. And the reality is there are more poor white people than there are poor black people. But when you talk about destitute, we hear a certain segment of society more than we hear about another segment. And the reality is, okay, that's out there, but we all have the same opportunity that everybody has. 
Some people are disadvantaged just due to the social economical situation that they're in, but there's a way out of that. And you know what? And there's people like us that can show people how to get out of those situations. But the reality is there's people that live in those situations and choose not to get out of that situation. They create their own issues. So what message can we give? We can give lots of messages. So the message is, if that's where you want to be, that's where you will be. If that's not where you want to be, let's do something different than what you're doing today. Because at the end of the day, you keep doing the same stuff. You're going to get the same, same reaction, same response, same result. So black lives matters. No, all lives matters at the end of the day. And I don't believe in special rights. I believe in equal rights. And that's what the Constitution is all about, equal rights. It's not about special rights for anybody. It's about all rights for everybody. So if you're wrong, you're wrong. If you're right, you're right. It's not black or white. It's wrong or right. So figure that out. And you know what? I get what you're saying. There's a lot of passion behind the whole Black Lives Matter. There's a reason why it's not organized and why it's not going where it should go because there's no true focus. And the focus should be about not Black Lives Matters. It's about doing the right thing for everybody. The reality is, if a cop pulls me over, I respect him. And a lot of times people don't get that. If you if there's this failed respect, and I think we're we're getting a message out there that all cops are bad at this point. And so you're going to continue to see bad things happen. In my opinion, truly my opinion, based on what you see from the media, you're going to wind up seeing more people in a bad situation because we're forcing a society not to believe in law enforcement. And I think that's bad because they're really protected. Blue lives matter to me. understand. They're here to protect my family, just like the military is. And at the end of the day, if we don't respect that, shame on us because they're really there to, and once again, I get it. There's some bad eggs and one bad apple does not ruin the bunch and it should not. And that's what we're dealing with. It's isolated. And for the most part, you will see that police officers, law enforcement, they're here to protect us. And I think there's more to it than what we see. And we're a lot of people are choosing to buy into the bad part of the media. Christine, Edwin mentioned he sees that all lives matter and that no one should have special rights, but everyone should have equal rights. Do you believe that the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to create special rights instead of equal rights? Thanks, Margo. I believe the goal is to have equal rights, not special rights for anybody. The line that sticks out to me that I hear a lot is that all lives can't matter until Black lives matter. And how I interpret that is there seemingly are more Black folks being killed. And I think about what Edwin just said, too, about you can't let one bad apple ruin the the bag or the bunch or something along those lines. And then what makes me want to go back to is thinking about, well, sure, you know, maybe we don't hear the whole story about someone, a Black person was killed, a Black man was killed, and then they had XYZ on their record. So because they had XYZ on their record from before, they've been in trouble before, does that mean that those behaviors, those bad apples of behaviors should therefore determine the outcome of this human? You know, they're, they're going to be alive or dead in a matter of a few minutes. I don't think that Black Lives Matter is trying to create any special circumstances for everyone. I think the concept is to 
talk more about and bring light to situations where there perhaps already have been special circumstances created for folks, white folks in particular, and where folks of color have been more more marginalized. And I've heard folks talk about on the podcast, say black and black crime and really black and black crime compared to white on white crime, especially if you're talking about murder is pretty much the same. I mean, the numbers are so close if you look at the percentage anyway. Jim, you and Christine both mentioned educational resources being a factor in this discussion. What type of educational resources do you think are needed? And do you think that certain areas should be targeted? Well, I'm going to jump into that in a minute, but I do want to address one thing Christine said that kind of goes along with that, and that is the crime rates. She said that black on black and white on white were roughly the same. Uh, No, you know, these are older numbers, but I don't think they've changed materially in the last 10 years. In 2011, 50% of murder victims were black. And if you recall from my opening statement, the percentage of blacks in America is 13.4%. The offenders in those murders, 52% were black. Again, they're far, far out of line with the percentage of the population. And so they're not anywhere near comparable. And so that gets to some of these problems with policy and with, I wouldn't even say resources, I'd say approach. I'm not going to argue that blacks being higher on the poverty rate aren't going to be predominantly in areas that have fewer resources. That's certainly the case. But again, on a pure numbers basis, most of the poor in the country being white, really most of the people in deprived educational circumstances are going to be white as well. So I think it's important we look at the numbers on a realistic basis. When it comes to education, like I said, I don't think it's even resources. I think it's how we approach education. And If you read about how schools in the major cities are run, they're just nightmares. There's no discipline. There's no enforcement of rules. There's no, worst of all, no expectation of proficiency and excellence. And the educational achievement numbers reflect that. And so it's unfortunate there that, again, most of the people who aren't achieving are white on a pure number basis, but on a percentage basis, it becomes a higher problem in the black community. And so to me, what we ought to be doing is looking at what is working in places that are high achieving and enforcing those standards in the cities. And we don't do that. We pour money into problems. We leave the same people in charge who've been failing for 50, 60, 70 years. Again, You're not going to solve it by continuing with the same solutions, or should I say solutions with the air quotes, that have been tried for over half a century. Well, I I kind of disagree with both of them because this is one of the things, and this is what's great about hearing it from two different perspectives, you know, and especially two different races. But when you're sitting there saying one bad apple, you know, the problem is, is we try to unmarginalize the whole piece when we're talking about, number one, as we look at police brutality. That's what started the Black Lives Matter. But we start throwing everything else into this, this bucket and trying to defend why Black Lives Matter started. When you look at it, there is a huge disparity when you're talking about the number of police brutalities. Because once again, 20% of the police force is bad. And that's, I'm using that you know, basically 80-20 rule. 
But then we spend 80% of our time dealing with the 20%. And when you're sitting there, you're seeing things that are being happening, you know, and people are sitting there, you know, videoing. And in the last 10 years, you know, it's out there. But the question is, is without the video and, and what we've done prior to those 10 years, what was the case that was being recorded? And what, what's really been brought out is that, you know, we've seen only Black Lives Matter. When you start to you create it down that road of the civil rights movement, everyone starts to benefit from that. All people of color benefit from the civil rights movement. And so when we're talking about you know, it's Black Lives Matter because they're pointing that point out that there is problems with the police force practicing it. You know, I have the pleasures of having relatives that are police officers. And they don't like Black Lives Matter movement because it points out the disparity and the problems that they're having in the police force. So talking and listening to both Jim and Etwin about everyone has this opportunity. Not everyone has the opportunity. And it's not fair. Jim talks about education. When you're looking at the public funding schools, great teachers don't go into inner cities. Just like a doctor. There are bad doctors that shouldn't be doctors, but we some people get those doctors. Same thing we do with our education system. We're, we're not putting in the funds to actually support that. And we don't have the right people managing that. Yes, there is disparity with people of the family values. I believe that's a, the kicker what Jim talks about. When that family value is there, but there are people in those same conditions that have those fa- family values who take their kids to a school that's not properly funded. So it becomes this ever cyclical pattern that people are forced with giving them all the right responsibilities, but they're not given the tools to be successful. We have to start recognizing there is a problem. You know, where do you draw the line? And how do you tell a mom or or a dad or a grandmother that their 20-year-old son just got caught because of mistakes and it was less than 1%? And looking at that, yes, I, I agree. Definitely agree to that. When I call a police officer to my house, he's going to come here for the right reasons. And I don't want to have to feel unsafe that he's going to make wrong decisions based on my calling. But the whole thing is that where do we draw a line to start expecting more of excellence amongst our police force, our firefighters, our citizens, our neighbors? When do we start looking at that? And I believe there is a two-way street when it talks about respect. I respect the police officer as much as I hope the the police officer respects my right and his right. But as we're seeing and we're starting to see a lot of issues come up on the news and how people want to placate bad news or focus on a community or a cultural group or however we want to look at this. I think at the end of the day, to me, is that we both have to start working better together to understand and try to fix this problem. Because if we're coming back there, we're going to cast stones. Well, they did their job. That person shouldn't have been there or whatever it may be. I don't want to sit there and say, would you want to be that parent one day when your kid was coming home and for some reason got pulled over and the police officer mistaked her gun for a taser or a taser for the gun. And all of a sudden it's justified the means to the end. I won't cut you off, dude. Hey, Kevin, real quick. Honestly, think about it. We all ran out and got COVID vaccines. 95% efficacy rate, right? So 95% effective, which means we believe in it and it's good. If the police force is 95% effective, I think they're pretty good. Well, see, that's the problem is, is because you were put into a number until you're that individual parent. 
because of a mistake. In my workplace, Ellen, if I even though Jim's workplace in the manufacturing, if there has been a fatality in a building of someone because of negligence fact of Jim's leadership, and he knew about it, but covered it up, Jim's liable for that. Yeah, but if Jim... No, no, no. It's, it's not about the numbers, about, well, he can come back and say 99%, I never had it. OSHA will shut down Jim. There will be now the CEO of the company could be going to jail because of practices. So all I'm saying is that I should not sit there as a police officer. I'm in to protect, to try to make sure that I bring in the best trained to put myself in there. I can come back to my mom and my, my kids. All I'm saying is that if we think 95%, because if you're talking about the COVID, a pandemic is 3%, greater than 3%. Yeah, and right now you got close to six six hundred. Police force is greater than ninety nine percent are doing the right things. Well, that's what I'm trying to get to is that we have to even get better, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's I'm a hundred percent behind what you're talking about, but we have to start expecting both sides on that narrative. And I, I this is what's really great about this whole piece is having that conversation. I don't think we're there, and that, no. that's the piece I'm trying to sit back there and look at it. So as yeah, we but look I think at it, I think I think we're clouding it all by having all these protests that have no real focus and driving a lot of unorganized protests, animosity for things that people don't understand. People fail to read and and just don't expose themselves to the truth. So I think we create all this extra violence, all this extra stuff that's not good for anybody. At the end of the day, so, so that's so, what I'm saying. You're, you're, you nailed it right there. The problem is, is that we as a group, even if we consider ourselves well educated, we have everything that's got to be fast and quick. And so as we're looking at this or how my own conscious biases look at things, this is why we're trying to do this podcast is that step back. Let's recalibrate where we sit, how we look at things. You're 100 percent right. But what we say there's sometimes it's, it's not black or white, right or wrong. It's got to be better than that. And if sit there and, and, and expect anything less is mediocrity. So as I'm looking at it, as when I'm going to work, I have a responsibility that I have to do. And I have uphold that because I'm sitting in there and the margin of error as a police officer, that just makes it even more important. Can you imagine if we sat back there and everybody went to work with a gun in our workplace and expect there would be no violence in between that? And it's about having respect for both sides of the fence. And I've seen a lot of police officers do not respect that because they demand it because they have a badge. Does not mean it's right nor is it wrong. Depends on when you're looking at it. So I'm just saying right now, what we're talking about Black Lives Matter is about police brutality. And I really believe that it's just not one person. I believe it's secure justice for all should be the movement. And as we look at it, until someone loses a life or we see something's taken away from us, we start to now have a movement for it. That's just my take. And I'm 100%. Like we said, 99%. I don't even, it should be 99.99% when you're talking about, if in my case, a six sigma. Okay. And we all know that. But at the same token, as we look at some of the police officers, manslaughter, or they are get fired or they moved away, that tells me that you're protecting the institution than the individual. And it is a very close knit group because, as I met with a lot of police officers, they want to be able to have someone pull up on them and have their back. If I'm the one that sit there and squill, all of a sudden, guess what happens? My back is not covered. It is a very protected institution. 
And then sitting back there and thinking this is a perfect utopia world when it comes to a police officer, kid me, you're in the wrong area if you think that's the case. Thank you, Kevin and Edwin. I do want to go ahead and jump over to Christine and Jim to hear their thoughts. One of the big problems with with what's happened over the past year is turning a lot of things into racial hatred rather than addressing what is the problem and where does it really lie. In the same regard, Kevin, you talk about police brutality. Man, I'm right there with you. I'm all for addressing the racial problems. What I'm not all for is this constant media and Democrat pursuit of outrage and hatred instead of getting after the problems. Again, addressing the police brutality thing. More whites are shot by police, shot and killed by police than blacks. Now, I know blacks as a percent of the population are shot in a greater number relative to that than whites. But then if you look at like I talked about earlier, black violent crime rates, they're actually over half. So that would be what would lead to police interactions. And so in my mind, you should expect more than half of police killings to be blacks. And they're just not. They haven't been in any recent years. But let's not make it a racial thing when it isn't. It is sometimes. I mean, there are still racial problems. There's no doubt about it. But let's Stop with the racial hatred that we're creating when we say we're trying to solve these problems. That's not solving anything. The resources piece, I'm all for having that discussion. I I hear you, Kevin. Let's find out what the problem is and fix it. We're not going to fix racism entirely, but what we're doing today is making it worse. It's making it a lot worse. I guess what I'm left sitting here with, I agree. Hate. Hate's going to breed hate. You know, fueling everything on hate is not going to get us anywhere. It doesn't sound like we're in denial as a group about systemic racism being a thing. We're also not in denial that poverty shows up in a variety of races in this country, too, in a variety of regions in this country. But then bringing it back to this police brutality piece is is I think what we are here to talk about Black Lives Matter and we we keep circling back to it, to police brutality. And I'm going to touch on what I mentioned earlier is that the police as an institution, they're overloaded. The expectations that they have or what they have access to, really, they're expected to be a social worker or, or here in Kalamazoo, like they're a firefighter, they're a police officer, there are a few other things. And I think it's important to have a lot of trainings and I'm not offering I'm not necessarily offering someone an out, but there is something within the institution that totally needs to shift. And how do we employ social workers and other folks to come in and be mediators? How do we designate the 911 calls that are a true emergency or is it just a nosy neighbor who's bored? I, I don't know. I don't really have those answers. But I think when we're in a place where we can have a discussion like this, in some ways, it feels awesome because they're like, yeah, we're talking about, we're talking about it. But in some ways, it feels really stagnant. It's like, well, I don't know what's it. I don't know how to put one foot in, the, in front of the other. I really don't. And then it also goes to, well, Christine, don't get ahead of yourself and think that it's all going to get fixed overnight. And I think that showing up and having discussions like this with other folks is how we're going to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other, how someday 
wow, police brutality, maybe it won't be such a hot topic. We are ultimately here because not to be too cheesy, we're just trying to throw it back to the title of the podcast, right? Make a difference for us. We're trying to do something and we're all feeling stuck. And not to speak for everyone, but it's like we're stuck. We're not happy with what's going on. There's a lot of hate going on and none of us think that that's the solution. And maybe this is our version of community, (laughs) starting with community, starting to take those baby steps together. Thank you all so much for sharing the space today. Well, I think there's one thing we can all agree on. That's police brutality is wrong. A lot of what we see in the news is wrong. We all learn that we can't always agree upon the things that we find to be the reason why they are wrong. But at the end of the day, I think we all, I think we all, all of us, including our producer Margo, believes police brutality is wrong and what we see in the news, what's going on in the most recent times of our lives that we see on TV and what we see in the media and whatever electronic media you read or watch is wrong. But the reality is we've got to figure out how do we change that. And I think that's provide more exposure. And I think this is one of the reasons of the podcast is provide more exposure and become a think tank for people that are wondering how do we fix this? And I don't think it's the right way of fixing it. I think there's a, there's probably a multitude of ways of fixing it. And it's probably a multifaceted solution to this whole thing. I think you look at us, we're five people, but our, the five people becomes 500, 5,000, 500,000. And I think as we look at that and we look in our communities, we can all contribute in, in a way that we think can help fix it. So again, as Christine said, I, I appreciate everybody's perspective. And I think at the end of the day, when you look at that short distance between a moderate Democrat and a moderate Republican, that distance shortens tonight. But we agree that on the things that we believe that are, that are wrong. Yeah, like I said, I think my last closing statement is that we are so much better than what we're showing today. And I think that's where I'm looking at, you know, as you're talking about being in a proud American, what does that mean? And I think we've become lazy Americans in a sense of really getting into what some of the problems are and, and focusing. Because 9-11, we came together as a country and, you know, looking at things, be it right or wrong, but I think we came together as a country. But lately, we haven't been together as a country, and I'm hoping that we can get back to the, having those discussions. And so my closing statement is I'm hoping this platform starts to have people coming together and really looking at the details behind it and really look at the main issues like today, police brutality. And to me versus that, if that was the message, and then we need to figure out how do we help the police you know, reduce that? And as well as as a civilian, how do we start looking at holding ourselves responsible? Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on wherever you've decided to join us so you don't miss any new episodes. We are on Twitter and Instagram where you can use the hashtag MadForUs. You can also check us out on our website, madforus.org, where you can contact us with any of your thoughts or questions you might want asked for future episodes. Join us next time where we discuss the role of judges.